We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky speaks with the Chinese president in a bid to try and find a political solution to the war in Ukraine. The Biden administration is chasing Chinese officials around the world. House Republicans put forth a comprehensive border security bill. Every member of Congress, Republican, Democrat, will have to take a side. The GDP slows to 1.1% in the first quarter. It does feel like it's going to get worse because everyone expected rates to drop below 6. They're not going to. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Friday, April 28th. I'm Mike Scott. According to Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky, the telephone conversation he had with the Chinese leader Xi Jinping was reasonable. And he says there may be an opportunity to find a political solution to the ongoing war in Ukraine, but emphasized the need to maintain his country's territorial integrity. Well, Kiev will see this as a bit of diplomatic progress. Why? Just last month, President Zelensky uh, signaled he wanted to speak to Xi Jinping of China. He even invited him to Kiev after he met with Vladimir Putin in Moscow. But Xi Jinping decided not to make that extra journey. Nevertheless, we're told it was a long and meaningful phone call. There, we don't, we're not hearing much in terms of detail, but Ukraine is desperate to improve relations with China, a country that to date has refused to condemn Russia's invasion. It's even strengthened its economic ties with Moscow. Uh, so while Ukraine will see this as serious progress, there are still huge ideological differences on how to end this war. Because what Beijing wants, uh, and what we're told after this phone call, it sees negotiations and talks as the only way out of this conflict. Ukraine uh, sees a military victory as the way out to avoid just that, any kind of political compromise. So politically, we've seen progress today for Kiev. What difference it will make, we won't know just yet. For China's part, the communist regime stated that they have mutual respect for sovereignty and territorial integrity, calling it the political foundation of a China-Ukraine relationship. However, they emphasize their neutrality, adding they would neither watch from afar nor pour fuel on the fire, nor do we take advantage of the opportunity to make profit. While many people are encouraged about the prospect of peace and ending the bloody conflict in Ukraine, critics of China's growing influence on the world stage sees these talks as another means to outflank the Biden administration when it comes to foreign policy, further weakening the posture of the U.S. This is particularly troubling due to the looming threat of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. These threats have been heightened with recent military exercises around the independent island nation. 
Republican Representative Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin joined the Salem Radio Network while addressing the threat of the Chinese Communist Party. He explains the results of recent war games with China. The PLA massed an invasion force and preemptively struck our positions on Okinawa and Guam, so deterrence failed. Uh, Through six days, we sunk 80 PLA ships in the strait. That's a lot, largely thanks to our undersea capabilities and our long-range anti-ship missiles. But nevertheless, 80,000 PLA troops gained what's called a lodgement on the main island of Taiwan. They were able to get 80,000 troops on Taiwan despite that loss of their ships. We used up all of our best ammo, our long-range precision fires, within one week of fighting. Um, I was also surprised at the extent to which economic and financial weapons were used. Uh, But U.S. economic sanctions, though they impose crippling costs on Chinese banks, many of our allies, even G7 partners, our closest allies, hesitated to join the sanctions regime. And then finally, though the the Chinese losses were very heavy after six days, we were nowhere close to breaking the PLA's will to fight. And they were starting to use commercial ships to continue the invasion. Unfortunately, we only had two hours, so we couldn't go beyond two moves. But that was the basic summary of what happened in the game. When it comes to the differences in approach to dealing with the threat of China, Gallagher explains that Democrats want to prioritize talks. But according to him, talks haven't been working. I think that they're on the Democratic side, it's fair to say Uh, They're prioritizing the idea of engagement um, as a successful way to diffuse this crisis, whereas, and I'll only speak for myself, you know, I was was reading uh, Secretary Yellen's speech, which was all about how we need to engage with the CCP, we need to engage with China to promote peace, and I thought... Well, we've tried engagement for two decades, and it's it's failed. So the idea that we're just going to engage harder, and that engagement is somehow going to amount to deterrence, I, I don't I don't believe that. So I think there. That being said, I think there's agreement on the idea that of course we should have some sort of crisis communication channel where our military people can pick up the phone if things are heating up and say, hey. Let's avoid some miscommunication. The Wisconsin congressman believes that only the strength of the U.S. military will deter any military threat from China. We've actually tried for the last five years to reestablish such a channel, and the Chinese refuse to uh, meet us halfway. And right now, it seems like the Biden administration is chasing Chinese officials around the world, desperately trying to have a meeting. They are what Matt Turpin has called an, an ardent suitor for a meeting with the CCP, hoping that engaging just for the sake of engagement will produce positive results. So I think that's one meaningful difference that I see between uh, the parties. And of course, my bias is that only hard power deters. As of this morning, Taiwanese officials report that China's military flew another 38 fighter jets and other warplanes near the island nation in the largest such flight display since the large military exercise in which it simulated sealing off the island earlier this month. While some Americans have been able to escape the violence in Sudan, new reports suggest that some 16,000 Americans remain in that chaotic country. 
reminding many of the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan in many circles. Republican Congressman Ryan Zinke of Montana says that leaving Americans behind in Sudan is like deja vu. Remember Afghanistan? We not only left citizens, we knowingly and willingly locked and welded the gates shut and left civilians outside the perimeter defense from themselves. This is the time the Taliban were stoning to death the female pilots that we trained, and they were hanging interpreters out of U.S.-made helicopters. Now, fast forward, another example of cut and run. I'm glad they got the embassy staff out. I'm absolutely thrilled they did. They did a great job. But part of the embassy's job is, is what? To protect our citizens. Right? And other countries are, are, are getting people out. Look, we're the United States of America, and everyone watches this. And once again, it's another Biden failure. Zinke goes on to say that the way the Biden administration handled the withdrawal from Sudan is just another failure of the White House. Well, we have a moral obligation uh, to serve those citizens in the U.S. But you look at the sequence of what happened. No notification. And other countries are doing it, right? But yet, United States, we have citizens on the ground. No doubt that some would like to leave. Some of them should have been evacuated. Some have died. Yeah. Absolutely. So once again, it's a cut and run. And in this this is the same administration, and by the way. Remember uh, Admiral Kirby? Because this says, well, remember, the Allies were so amazed at the efficiency we left. So amazed the British car- Parliament censored the U.S. over it. So, and it could have been a lot worse in Afghanistan. I'm hoping and praying to God it doesn't get any worse in Sudan. But it's another example of cut and run, clear and simple. In the past, the U.S. has suspended diplomatic operations and removed personnel because of turmoil, but did not evacuate private citizens in places like Yemen, Syria, and Venezuela. On Thursday, House Republicans pushed to pass one of the most comprehensive border security and immigration packages that have been kicked around Congress in recent decades. Ali Bradley of News Nation says that a migrant surge is expected to hit the southern border in just a matter of weeks. We are seeing more people surging at the border right now with that caravan in motion as well. Law enforcement dealing with these surges in a couple of different sectors, embracing for more. As you mentioned, that Title 42, that migrant expulsion program, is set to end in just a matter of weeks. So first we take you to the uh, Rio Grande Valley sector here this morning where we're seeing a surge in illegal immigration there as Border Patrol is reporting that agents in Brownsville are seeing large groups, some upwards of a thousand, crossing each and every day. Look at this. Just happened days ago. More than a thousand migrants storming a vehicle checkpoint. This prompted border officials to close the Gateway International Bridge for hours. The Rio Grande Valley, once the busiest sector for decades, but migrant traffic shifted to the Del Rio sector. And then again, now it's the El Paso sector that is taking the top spot this fiscal year. With more than 265,000 encounters, CBP is reporting that the sector has seen an increase of 134% over just the last fiscal year. Bradley goes on to explain that many of the migrants are simply being released into the U.S., by the Department of Homeland Security. 
Sources within CBP telling me that many of these surges there have been attributed to misinformation spreading online. And many of those crossing who do not qualify for Title 42 face removal proceedings. However, DHS has allowed a majority to be released with a notice to appear or on their own recognizance. Okay, so this all comes, as you mentioned, Adrian, 3,000 migrants are traversing through Mexico right now. Their goal is to hit Mexico City in protest of these detention facilities like the one that we saw caught fire last month, killing 40 immigrants. Now, these people are saying that those are inhumane conditions. Now, while we know their goal is to get to Mexico City, many of them have the end goal of reaching our southern border. According to reports, a package of bills which has yet to be named will hit the House floor on May 11, same day the Biden administration will end Title 42, a pandemic policy that affected border operations. The Department of Homeland Security is bracing for the possibility of 13,000 to 18,000 illegal immigrant arrests per day when the Title 42 policy goes away. Far beyond the 5,000 to 7,000 daily apprehensions the U.S. has seen since President Joe Biden took office. Art DeQuato, vice president of the National Border Patrol Council, states that currently DHS doesn't have much of a plan to deal with the coming major migrant surge beyond releasing them into the U.S. interior. What is the agency doing? How are they preparing? The way they're preparing is they're releasing people faster at a faster rate, NTAing them, many times ORing them, because what they're saying is we got to keep it under a certain percentage of capacity because we know the surge is coming. Arizona Sheriff Mark Lamb believes that the poorest southern border is the greatest national security threat to the United States. We've had a 461% increase in pursuits in my county. And I can't post about it every day because if I do, it'll become white noise to everybody. And what we cannot afford is for this to become white noise because human lives are being put at risk every day by the cartels, by those drivers of the vehicles. And then they're enslaving these people once they get to their destination. And not to mention the fentanyl that they're bringing in as well. It's poisoning Americans every day and has become the leading cause of death. So it certainly cannot become white noise. We've got to continue to realize that this is the, I think, the greatest threat facing America right now, the active threat to America. And we're just letting it happen every day. Lamb explains that whatever you think of former President Donald Trump, his border policies worked. What we should be doing is enforcing Title VIII. You know, there is but laws on the book that say you cannot come into this country legally. And you're right, Adrian, they are just yapping, yapping, yapping. We need them to do, we need some action. We, two, for two years ago, over the last two years, uh, Democrats held the Senate, they held the House, and they held the presidency. Yet they failed to pass any immigration law, and they should have and could have. Um, so we've got to do something better. Let's get back to the Trump era policies. Those worked. Whether you, whether you like President Trump or whether you don't, his policies worked. And I wish we had him back in there in the White House right now uh, enforcing this border security issue because we wouldn't be having this problem. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise unveiled the GOP's border security package. Judiciary Committee, Homeland Security Committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee all have taken action now over the last few weeks to put together what I would call the strongest border security package that Congress has ever taken up. Scalise vows to bring up the bill for a vote 
next month. We return in May, the same week that Title 42 expires, we're going to bring a border security package and pass it through this House of Representatives. And we challenge President Biden to work with us to solve this problem. We're going to show the president how to solve the problem. The Louisiana congressman says that Democrats will have to pick a side when they vote on the bill. They're not going to be able to hide from this anymore because there will be a vote on the House floor where every member of Congress, Republican, Democrat, will have to take a side. Are you going to side with people who are sick and tired of watching 300 young people die every single day? Are you going to do something about it like we are? And shame on them if they hide from this problem any longer. The U.S. is not alone in seeing a massive uptick in illegal border crossings. Mexico and Colombia, among others, have seen more migrants seeking refuge over the past two years, as many people are seeking to find better opportunities amid major economic downturns in Central and South America that has devastated several regions. The White House denies that President Biden was tipped off about a reporter's question ahead of time. Daybreak Insider's White House correspondent Greg Cluxton has more on this story. A photo of the president at Wednesday's press conference shows him holding a note card titled Question One, along with the name and photo of a Los Angeles Times reporter, as well as an expected question. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. We do not have specific questions in advance. That's not something that we do. She says one task of the press office is to brief and prepare the president for possible questions. The LA Times says it did not provide the White House with a question in advance. Greg Clugston, Washington. On Thursday, the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis released its advance estimate for the first quarter of 2023, and the news was less than stellar. First quarter GDP report out showing that the economy is slowing, growing at an annual rate of 1.1%. That's down from 2.6% in the previous quarter. Now, many are saying that this is what the Fed wants to see. So while slowing business investment did weigh on growth, those declines were offset by an acceleration in consumer spending. That was up 3.7% in Q1. And then housing We also got pending home sales declining for the first time since November. Numbers out from the National Association of Realtors showing that sales did fall just over 5% in March from February. According to the BEA, the GDP was lower than the 2% expected and is considered to be a slowdown from the fourth quarter of 2022 in which real GDP had increased 2.6%. Yahoo Finance's Dave Briggs says that he believes the numbers are showing that the economy and inflation may only get worse. I don't think it is in particular because mortgage rates creeped back up Mm -hmm. as they continue to do just about week to week. And we've seen really sensitive housing environment when that mortgage rate even ticks up just a little bit. It's more reactionary than we've seen probably since like that 08, 09 period. So it does feel like it's going to get worse because everyone expected rates to drop below six. They're not going to. But the consumer largely propping up the economy. That spending number you read I thought was the biggest takeaway. Meanwhile, the preferred indicator of inflation for the Fed is the PCE price index, and that number saw an increase of 4.2% in the first quarter of 2023, after increasing by 3.7% by the end of last year. 
The new GDP and PCE numbers are trending in a direction. That means that Americans who are seeking some relief from high inflation may not find it anytime soon. All this as President Biden is trying to build a case for his re-election in 2024. Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas says the president's unwillingness to negotiate on spending levels is putting the country at risk. Daybreak Insider's Bob Agnew has more on the debate over the debt ceiling on Capitol Hill. Cornyn says overspending is not a victimless policy. Future generations are going to have to pay that money back. He says lawmakers and the White House should do all they can to help. If, if there are things we can do, at least to mitigate it. But he also says the national debt is the single biggest threat to U.S. security. This is really unbelievable to me. The president of the United States, the leader of the free world, and he said, eh, not my problem. Cornyn calling on President Biden to negotiate with Republicans on spending cuts in talks on raising the debt limit. Bob Agnew, Capitol Hill. As the coronation of King Charles III fast approaches, all eyes are on the Queen Consort, who will be crowned alongside her husband. Daybreak Insider's Karen Chamas has more on the Royal Insiders in London. The moment will mark the culmination of years of efforts that helped to transform her image from being one of the most reviled women in the country to becoming a likeable, down-to-earth hard worker. Ingrid Seward, editor-in-chief of Majesty magazine, explains. Just by giving it time and going gently, gently, she has managed to show people the real person that she is and that, that she's not this villainess. Karen Chamas, London. And finally... Legendary broadcaster, author, part-time politician, and host of the outrageous daytime talk show Jerry Springer has passed away. Jerry Springer's family released a statement confirming that he died at his suburban Chicago home after a brief bout with cancer. Longtime talk show host Jerry Springer has passed away at the age of 79. Springer was an icon of American TV for decades. He had a talk show that spanned nearly 30 seasons, and so many people felt like they knew him. Springer, while having many jobs on his resume, including Cincinnati mayor, was best known as the host of the Jerry Springer Show, a syndicated television program lasting for 27 years. Springer featured confrontations between guests and more than occasionally they devolved into fistfights. Former executive producer and longtime friend Richard Dominic says that when he first heard the news, he couldn't believe it. It's very sad, you know, because every, you know, the, the world lost, you know, one of the greatest TV personalities. But for me, you know, he, he was a buddy. More than anything else, he was he was my buddy. So it's tough. How did you hear of the news this morning? Oh, the second I woke up, I started getting all kinds of texts and messages. And first, people thought it was a hoax. Um, and, you know, but it eventually, you know, I have a, a friend over at CNN. And he called me and told me that they just got the um, blast from 
Chicago that um, he passed away. So once I got that phone call from my buddy at CNN, I knew it was true. Steve Wilkos, a television host and former bodyguard on the Jerry Springer show, says. The guy was, uh, he was grounded. I mean, you think about uh, people that become huge stars um, and they they lose a sense of themselves and uh, people tend to think they're special. Jerry never had that about him. I mean, I think he had a lot of fun with uh, what was happening in his life, but uh, he certainly never thought he was better than anybody, never treated anybody beneath him. Uh, just very kind, well-mannered man. Uh, you know, I worked for the guy for a long time, and uh, all those years I, he never yelled at anybody. Uh, just just a delight to work for a professional. Never was late, you know, never showed up unprepared for anything. Uh, you know, really just a, a consummate professional. Springer's family has asked fans to make a donation or commit an act of kindness to someone in need to mark his memory. Jerry Springer was 79. Till next time, take care of yourself and each other. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.